Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Fender Bender on Joy 94.9 Revving up the weekends with news and views on all things motoring Good afternoon, you must be Joy listeners And people who aren't really interested in Bathurst But we are, because on Fender Bender, Joy 94.9's very best motoring show We'll be talking amongst other car news about, of course, one of the biggest races in Australia. Bathurst is this weekend. We will, of course, be talking about all things cars, driving interesting things in various parts of the world. This is Fender Bender on a Saturday afternoon. It's a glorious day out there. Uh, wherever you are, perhaps you're listening to your radios basking in the sun in your garden, or maybe you're at Bathurst getting ready for uh, a weekend of absolute mayhem. Uh, either way, I'm sat in the studio at Joy 94.9 in one of the best cities in the world, and I'm not here alone. I'm joined by two fabulous, fabulous gentlemen. Michael Costello, welcome back. Thank you for being on the show again. A pleasure. If you were at Bathurst and you were listening to this, it'd be a fair effort to hear us over the din of all the bogans, wouldn't it? Shall I just turn up? I can turn up your levels really high if you mm. want. It'll blow up your radio, but... I don't recommend it. Yeah, well, if you're if you're at Bathurst, let us know. Oh uh, four two seven joy nine four nine or email on air at joy.org.au. Um, I'd love to know. I'd actually quite like to be there, but I'd probably be beaten up because I'm not very manly. And we're also joined in the studio by another favourite <laughs> fender bender, the lovely Maddie Brogan. Sir, how are you? I'm very well, handsome sir, and I could just imagine Joy being played at the uh, you know top of McPhillamy there, <laughs> Can trying you to trying to get over the top of Chisel. It'd, it'd be <laughs> such an effort. I can't see it happening somehow. Anyway, anyway, thank you for being a gentleman. Are you well? Have you been up to lots of things? Busy driving fabulous stuff? Many things, getting very dusty. Ah, now we'll be talking to you a little bit later in the show about that. That's, yes. Um, yes, you were doing, um, we're talking about, you know, Bathurst today, and then you were doing something also iconically Australian, but uh, a little bit more about that later. Yes. Before that, we will get stuck straight into the news, as is typical Fender Bender fashion, and we will start with, of course, it is Bathurst. Now, uh, normally we don't have an awful lot to say about it in terms of what's going on in the competition because frankly I'm not very good at following teams and drivers I love the whole atmosphere of racing and I love the, you know, the day and being at circuit but other than that I'm not very good at it so this year though thankfully we've got plenty to talk about even if you don't know anything that's going on uh, most notably by two ginormous crashes now uh, yesterday we had our first big stack where Chas Mostert um, stacked it coming into uh, Forest Elbow I think it was and had a huge off to the point where he actually hopped the concrete wall for a moment and took the top off a Marshall's hut and actually threw a, a little bit of metal into said Marshall, um, who's stable, um, but yeah, rather unwell also. Yeah, yeah everyone not, not pleasant. Very lucky for everyone to get out of that alive. Mm. He Chaz, broke his Chaz, leg, and yeah, his, Chaz broke his left leg and his wrist, and his wrist. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, so he will be out for the race, and uh, and very lucky that no one uh, was worse off. And then, as if that wasn't enough action and destruction, just today. Um, we had Damien Flack had a massive off on Conrod Strait. Did you mm. see that, guys? Yeah, I did. It was quite a tumble. That was, I mean, he was airlifted off. And again, touch wood, the panel in the studio here is actually, has actually got some wood on it, so you can do that. So join 94.9. We've got it all here. Um, yeah, he was very lucky. He uh, he was airlifted out. He was He's alive and conscious, and so we, sh- we wish him the very best.
best. He's the defending champion, isn't he? Mm, and yeah, brace yourselves if you do watch it online. It's it's rather graphic. It is. Mm. It's spectacular, mm. but uh, no one hurt. Let's just hope that the rest of the weekend goes smoothly and we don't have any other massive offs. Or at least if we do, you know, everyone's fine because we like a big crash, don't we? As long yeah, as everyone's bit, it's fine. It's a bit NASCAR, isn't it? You, you yeah, exactly. go for the crash, but you just hope no one's hurt at the same time. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so guys, take care out there. But we are looking for. Are you guys going to watch it? Do you watch Bathurst? Uh, yeah, look, I do. I'm one of those tragics that gets up and sits there in their PJs all day. That's not tragic. <laughs> I think that's completely fine. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're motorsport enthusiasts, and even if we just don't know. So who's the pick then? Well, look, I, I don't really have one because I don't follow V8 supercars as a rule. But I do get up especially to watch Bathurst and have done for a very long time. So it's. Yeah. When does it start? Early. What, uh, yeah. What's early? Uh, you know, look, early for a Sunday, about, about 9, 10 ish, oh, somewhere okay. around there. <laughs> okay, that's not early. Yeah, it's early for us. We're Sunday. ladies of leisure, Dan. All right. <laughs> we like sure to sleep are. in. Yeah, all right. Well, I, I might get up and watch it. It's a thousand Ks, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, how long does it take them? All day. Usually finishes about five. Wow. Yeah. Full yeah. on. It's a good day. You imagine they'd be really sweaty. It's a lot of beer. Ooh. <laughs> Almost as sweaty as I was walking down from East Melbourne. Yeah, th- thanks for the cuddle. Because yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Well, you, I gave you the option to avoid, you know, but you seemed to embrace it quite literally. Uh, anyway, enough of sweaty men. No, actually, why not? We could carry on with that all day. <laughs> Poor Mike. Um, unfortunately, there has been a little bit of controversy surrounding the race already, uh, and a gentleman named uh, David Reynolds said something utterly stupid in a press conference before the race. Now, you may or may not know that. It's the first time in 17 years there's there's been an all-women uh, team entering Bathurst, which is, in my opinion, absolutely fantastic. Um, I think we need more women in motorsport. Um, and I think it's up to society to, to, without getting too deep, to encourage you know women and girls to Definitely. get into motorsport from yeah. an early age, because that's when it happens. So, you know, women have a tough enough uh, job trying to get into motorsport as it is. So it really doesn't help when David Reynolds, in a press conference, makes possibly the most sexist remark you could towards the girls, uh, and completely unashamedly in front of the media. Now... I won't repeat what he said because it's really not worth giving him that kind of coverage, but it was it was very insensitive and very sexist. And the worst thing for me is that, in a way, it would have been better if he had kind of done it off record intentionally knowing he was saying something sexist. The fact that he was completely ignorant of it is the biggest problem we have in getting, you know, equality and, and, and uh, no sexism in motorsport. Yeah, look, and that's right. And he's been fined, you know, a, a rather considerable fine for, for, you know, what was a moment of brain fade, but... I, I completely agree with you. Look, it's a it's a hard enough role for for women to get into without making it worse by those sort of comments, and especially in a, you know a press conference setting. It's yeah, it was yeah, it was really it's disgusting. I think so. I mean, I mean, Mike, where do you weigh in on this? You know, is this is, is he is he just being are we being too harsh? on twenty five grand fine for that comment. Well, there are people who are saying you should have been struck for the weekend. Yeah, I mean, my my first reaction was that twenty five grand was probably a bit steep. But the more I think about it, I think the bigger picture here it probably was fair enough in light of the fact that you know, as we alluded to when we first started talking about Bathurst, Beat Supercars has a bit of an image problem. The racing is amazing. Uh, all around the world, you ask touring drivers from any series anywhere, DTM or you know any, anywhere in Europe, they rate and love Beat Supercars. There's something really unique about them. But they have a bit of a sort of as a reputation, it's it's renowned for being a bit redneck, a little bit kind of macho, and, and perhaps not as all-inclusive as it could be. And so to introduce teams such as this with two uh, women drivers is brilliant, and these kind of comments will make it more hostile and perhaps dissuade people from joining when otherwise they might have. So I think you've got to send a message, and I think, look, 
like, uh, you know, banning him from the race wouldn't really achieve a whole lot, I don't think. That's probably a bit steep, but a fine is well and truly justified. So let's hope that everybody wakes the hell up and this is the last we hear of it. Yeah. Look, um, and we wouldn't accept it in AFL, so why the hell should we accept it in V8 Supercars? Well said. Let's hope this, yeah, as you say, Mike, sets an example and it won't be stood for in, in anything, um, least of all motorsport. On With that sort of, you know, the unpleasantness aside, it's really exciting that the, the, the women's team is in there. Um, it's uh, Renee Gracie and Simona De Silvestro. Now, uh, she's a, a Swiss woman, and she is handy. You know, she was a um, Sauber test driver for the Formula One team. I mean, that's pretty... That's it's pretty cool, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, how can, uh, Maddie, how potentially can they do in the race? Well, you know, you'd, you'd kind of like, you know, a, a little bit of karma to come into play here, and you kind of like, you know, to sort of conspire against a few of the others and see them get right up there and onto the podium. I, I think it'd be fantastic. Wouldn't it just? Yeah. Have they got a chance? I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're handy drivers. <sighs> um, look, look, they are, but there's a lot of experience out there too, and it's a very demanding track, and a lot can go wrong in the course of a day, so... You know, let's just hope it goes in their favour. Well, I'm keeping everything crossed because I think that's... And they, you know, just be nice to see a... It you would, know, it'd be fantastic. One of each on yeah. the podium. That's what I'll settle for. Yeah. And that's equality, isn't it? A boy and a girl on the podium. I'd like to see that. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> Guys, we're going to take a very short break, but we will be back after this. This is Fender Bender on Joy 94.9. We were talking Bathurst. It is, of course, one of the biggest motorsport weekends in Australia. And if you are doing anything Bathurst-related, let us know, 0427-JOY-949, or email on air at joy.org.au. We're going to uh, move on to more international... Well, no, actually, no, let's keep it fairly local still for now. Uh, BMW, uh, they have previously just tested the water in Australia with uh, hybrids, Mm. with their active hybrid cars. They had a 7 Series and a 3 Series that were mild hybrids. They were, you know, they, they, were, they were good. They were rather expensive. And they didn't sort of take off very well. Um, however, for the new generation 3 Series, or at least the updated 3 Series, they may well be bringing in a 330E, which is a plug-in hybrid version of the 3 Series, which, as we know, guys, actually has a lot more appeal in many ways because it has a longer range and you have the potential, with as this car does, 40 kilometres worth of electric range, you could potentially drive it commute to and from work every day without using a drop of fuel it hasn't quite been confirmed yet but is as good as i was chatting to bmw early in the week and they're saying look we do want it it's as good as here but we can't quite confirm is this exciting news is this good for the uh, for the plug-in hybrid cause would we like it in australia and would it work look i think up till now australia's been lagging very far behind europe and america on electric motoring and and places in asia like japan and, you know, the fact we don't have any kind of government help or incentives and the fact that our market here is quite obsessed with performance counts against it. But, you know, plug-in hybrids and EVs and things aren't going to get critical mass until there's more of them. Tesla has shown that they can be wildly popular with the right product. And, and until every brand offers either a plug-in or an EV car or a hydrogen car or some kind of alternate fuel vehicle, we're not going to see them get real cut through. But when, you know, they're so ubiquitous that the public is aware of them and it's top of mind people are going to consider them where they might not have considered them before. So a vehicle like this, a famous badge, a famous model, available with this technology if they price it right, and that's the elephant in the room, if they price it right, it'll be fantastic. Totally agreed. They did say it's going to be significantly cheaper than the 3 Series Active Hybrid, which it effectively replaces. That car was $100,200, which is quite expensive for a 3 Series, um, but this is going to be significantly cheaper, possibly closer to sort of the the new flagship, which is around 80000 $86,000. So it will be a lot cheaper. Is is that cheap enough, though? Well, I mean, you're going to find that there'll be early adopters that'll go for it either way. The uh, Audi S3 e-tron, A3 e-tron, I should say, is the same sort of story. 
people that go for these cars aren't your typical buyer. They're the people that want to be on the cutting edge. They want to be, um, you know, sort of getting out there before everybody else. Um, and 80K is a lot of money, but to that kind of buyer, it's not really a lot of money. I wouldn't have thought. Mm. Now, and, and look, yeah, it's exactly as Mike said. It is one of those chicken and egg sort of arguments. And I think Mike chicken. also... Yeah, chicken. chicken every time. <laughs> I think yeah. Mike's just touched on something too that we are one of the few countries that don't incentivize this sort of vehicle ownership. And you know, Tesla's a great example. You still pay luxury car tax on a fully electric car that makes no emissions. It, it is just ridiculous. And until we start doing that, it's going to you know, it's going to dissuade people from buying stuff like this. And that's what puts importers like BMW behind the eight ball. You know, they don't want to bring a car in when it's this expensive because they simply can't get the volume of people into the car that they need to. Absolutely. We really need to look at the bigger picture in this. Yeah, we need infrastructure and we need government incentives. We need, yeah, support and encouragement. Um, One thing that BMW say will help its cause is that this won't be the only plug-in hybrid in their range. They've already said that uh, the the X5 uh, plug-in hybrid is on its way. This is probably going to be the next model and they say that's not going to be it. So they're probably going to bring in, I'm guessing it will be either a a hybrid plug-in hybrid version of the 2 Series Active Touring and also the 7 Series. The reason they say that is because um, they say that their job as a premium car company is to offer choice. And if BMW customers just see one oddball plug-in hybrid in the range, they go, well, why would I go for that? But if they see they've got an X5, a 3 Series, a 7 Series, and a 2 Series Active Hybrid, that gives them a lot of choice. And they say that will encourage the cause. Well, Audi's doing the exact same thing. And, you know, the role on a premium brand is to lead the way for others. You don't expect Mazda or Toyota to be on the cutting edge because they're bread and butter cars, but you do expect if you're going to pay a premium for these kind of vehicles, they are the ones that have to be on the cutting edge. The onus is on them to lead the charge. So Audi, BMW, Mercedes-Benz, the onus is on them. Lead, lead the, the way. charge. Get it? Oh, Get it. was that? Hey. That was good. I'm sorry, I missed that, that was one. A, it was. It was subtle. I'm you, glad somebody got it. <laughs> You're My genius so, is appreciated by somebody. You are so yeah. good at puns. You do them without even thinking. <laughs> Excellent. Staying with BMW for a moment, um, and on the slightly more exciting end of the scale, for different reasons. Uh, I get excited about hybrids, but it's just because I don't get out very much. You look quite excited, actually. Thank, thank you You've very much. It's just the way I'm sitting. Manic it's, energy. It's a big mobile that. phone I've got in my pocket. <laughs> um, M4 GTS, uh, BMW's uh, coupe. Uh, It was a concept initially that they've now confirmed it is going into production. So this is the M4 Plus. So it gets even more lovely styling it gets does it get a little bit more power isn't it i think yeah, it's a- yeah and, and and a little bit of uh you know weight reduction because we could all do with a bit of weight reduction <laughs> but, but look i love a coupe and i yes. love the m4 so bring it on absolutely yeah. see I, I find the m4 a tiny bit anodyne in its regular regular spec compared okay. to the c63 um, and, you know, it used to be that the M was the unqualified, undisputed champion of the performance car world. And I think the new Mercedes and Audis are better. And I think that this is essential for BMW to remind people that, hey, we're the performance luxury brand. We're the brand that focuses on dynamics. And all these other pretenders need to be put in their place. So this is the kind of car BMW has to be doing more of. In fact, I would like this to be the regular M4. Just ditch the normal M4 and make this one the new standard car. Wow, how good would that be? Because Mercedes sells the C63 AMG S here. Mm, it doesn't sell the, version, the Bogo yeah. one. Yep. Bogo one, the relatively base one. Yeah, I so, love that Mike just referred yeah. to an AMG uh, but, 63 as a Bogo yeah, and, car. And, and the black editions and all these crazy yeah. editions. And that's what we want. That's what we want to see. And Australians especially want to see that kind of car. So BMW says, I mean, this is a super limited run car. BMW Australia wants it. 
It'll likely come here early-ish next year if they can get it, but it'll be in very small numbers. And you'll see them all on Chapel Street. Exciting stuff. Can't wait to get my hands on one of those. Not that I ever will, because there's probably about four of them and they'll sell out in three seconds. Uh, keeping with exciting sort of sexy cars, we do know that the Range Rover Evoque will be offered very soon in a convertible version. Weird? Yeah, weird, too oddball- weird. Really? Just stop it. Okay. Really? Did you... Now, they've teased yet another uh, little early taste of the convertible Evoque, love or hate, with a series of six weird wireframe sculptures that they're, they're touring the world with. They started off in London. They put them in prominent places like outside Harrods and all that kind of thing. Uh, and now they're going to go on a world tour, giving people a glimpse of what the car will look like. So it's this beautiful outline there and these funny pastel colours and this little weird fleet of wireframe sculptures. What, mm. is, that, is that a clever marketing stunt or just, or just a bit of a, I don't know. Look, I think I support the idea of a convertible Evoque for what it's worth, because if there was ever an SUV that suited being a convertible, yeah. it's the Evoque. But we know what it's going to look like. Yeah. It's, it's an Evoque. It was already out yeah. there. <laughs> Just look at an Evoque and take the roof off. It's pretty bloody easy. It's not going to be surprising. So you're saying this teaser campaign is why still irrelevant. Just, really? Why bother? Just, just show us the car already. What's the point? Well, you know how I feel about, you know, teaser sketches and, you know, low light shots of the car before you just, I'm with you on that. I'm like, just show us the car yeah. or don't show us the show car. Show us the car. Put that outside of Harrods. Don't put a stupid wire sculpture. Put the actual thing there. But it did, like, if I were to play devil's advocate for a moment, it did, it was kind of, it was very um, eye-catching. It was very attention-grabbing, you know, to see those six weird sculptures outside. The thing that I thought, though, is that, you know, London isn't exactly spoilt for parking spaces. And there's Range Rover taking up six with the things that aren't even cars. It's also not, right the best, a- it's not the best place in the world to launch a convertible, is it, really? Yeah, but we, <laughs> why, do, why do Poms buy so many convertibles, then? The weather is terrible all the time. You're probably more qualified yeah. to tell us than anybody else, yeah. Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, the accent gave away. I don't know, I can't answer, other than all I can say speculatively is that poms are mad um you know we have a beautiful climate what is it? it's 30 degrees out there today and no one buys convertibles in australia and yet where it pisses it down all year round people love them it's weird they love a challenge because those three days of the year when it's sunny mate you gotta take advantage of it and you show off and you let all your neighbors oh, know yeah. about it. that was the news don't forget to fasten your seatbelt you are listening to fender bender on joy 94.9 now then Sir Michael of V-Facts Shire, you uh, like to give us a little uh, rundown of the uh, what's selling and what's not selling in Australia every month. And it is that time of the month that we talk about the uh, highs and lows of our local market. Yes, VFACs. That is the government-sponsored database that records the sales of every vehicle on sale in Australia. It sounds a little boring, I'll admit, but you can find out a lot of really interesting stuff if you're a weirdo who likes facts and figures like me. For instance, <laughs> what do you think was the top-selling car in Australia last month? Well, it's always the Corolla, uh, Toyota Corolla, or the Mazda 3. Always? Oh, is it? Isn't it? Well, I did actually just catch a glimpse of what it was. Mm, yes. I was, I was, yeah, go on. Uh, for the second time in a few months, it was actually the Hyundai i30, and not just by a little bit, by a absolute mile. Serious? They were doing a crazy, crazy good deal on the thing for a while, really, okay. really cheap. Twenty uh, k drive away with auto and some body that is fabulous, which is cheap. crazy good value for money. If I was in the market for a car, I would have looked at that. Um, so that just trounced everything ahead of Corolla and ahead of Mazda three, um, and of course, as per usual, a number of Utes were right up there, the Triton, the Ranger, and the Hilux. And, of course, the locally made Commodore and Camry are sticking strong in fourth and sixth place. So, pretty much par for the course, except for the R30, which was a bit surprising. As per usual, Toyota was a top-selling brand ahead of Mazda, Holden, and Hyundai as the top four. 
they tend to sort of fight yeah. between themselves for second to fourth position. But the really interesting part is that Australia is on track for the biggest year ever. It's on track for a record uh, sales figure. Right. His end, it's up about 4% for the year. Okay. And for all this talk of, you know, we hear so much about negative things in the economy. We hear about housing bubbles. We hear about interest rates climbing. We hear about, you know, the, the currency is dropping the value of the currencies. As I, I was just traveling overseas, so I can attest to the exchange rate burning at the moment. And nevertheless, people are buying more cars than they ever have before. Right. Key question is why? Well, I mean, if you trawl around... Uh, a different I do. Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> well, first of all, Australia is the most competitive market in the world. We've got more brands per sale. In other words, we sell a million cars a year and we have 55, 60 brands. America sells eight times that or 12 times as many cars, I should say, and has fewer brands available to choose from. So... Super competitive. Sucks to be American, by the way. Yeah. And what happens when there's lots of competition? They all fight each other and the prices get driven down. So, cars here are pretty cheap. The myth that cars are expensive isn't true here. And then you've got, you know, interest-free repayments. You've got driveway deals. You've got all these different things they throw in there as a sweetener. So, there's never really been a better time to buy a new car. And that's reflected in the sales figures. I think also, we're kind of suckers for needing new things all the time. (laughs) The notion of keeping a car for a couple of years doesn't really happen anymore. People always want the newest and the greatest and the best, and I hope they continue to be that way. Otherwise, we might be out of a job. Oh, well, you know, we, we're never going to be out of a job because <laughs> of things like Volkswagen and their smoky diesels. There is hey, that. Good there segue. That. We, uh, okay, do you want to talk about that? Well, why not? Sure. We'll, do a, we'll give a quick run. Yeah, okay, so this is well, to give our weekly update, um, if you're a regular listener of Fender Bender or reading any kind of automotive media lately, you'll know that uh, Volkswagen is a spot of, in a spot of bother because they deliberately uh, cheated in an emissions test with their two-litre turbocharged diesel engines. Uh, initially, it was just confined to the US. It's now global, and we've had our first confirmation this week of numbers of cars affected in Australia, and it was initially around about 77,000 cars, and I think, Mike, you were saying overnight there's another the six thousand odd added to that, so mm-hmm. we're getting we're getting over the eighty thousand mark. That's now. Volvo and Skoda. There's another sixteen thousand Audis affected as well that use the EA one eight nine engine, the two liter and one point six liter turbo diesel engine. Oh yeah. Also yesterday, the credit to the Australian Australian subsidiaries of each of these brands, they're among the first anywhere in the world to announce a recall. But the problem is. They can't do the recall right now. The announcement was basically, we're going to do a recall once head office in Germany tells us what the yeah. hell we actually have to do to fix this thing. And this is where it gets complicated. Yeah. Because initially it was thought, okay, um, they put some software in the car in the ECU that it senses when it's being tested and it runs more efficiently and, and emits, you know, the NOx particulates emissions are smaller to meet requirements. And then when it's running in regular driving, it actually emits more. But the issue is, it's appearing increasingly likely there's going to have to be big hardware changes as well. And furthermore, when they make these changes, you're actually going to get less power and torque from the engines. So when eventually this recall comes in, there is the potential that when you take your car to get it fixed to meet requirements, it's going to go slower and it's possibly going to require a lot more work than was first thought. Now, Volkswagen globally has already lost billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars to fines. Its share price has plummeted. It's absolute chaos. It's the biggest news story in a long, long, long time, right up there with the big recalls lately from Takata and from General Motors. Um, And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Hmm. Watch this space. We will keep you posted. Poor Volkswagen. I feel a little bit sorry for Well, yeah, and I I think it's been overblown to a degree but i don't think we have time to go into that right now but we could fill an entire episode of fender bender yeah. uh, but we won't because we've got some very australian motoring for you guys to talk about after this break so stick with us there has never been so many blue singlets or vb stubbies in this room 
Oh, no, I don't know. I don't know. Sealed containers. Yeah, yeah sealed containers. I don't know why we're still talking. We've just lost all our listeners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They all heard Johnny Farnham talk. Look, off. I apologise. I apologise for your The Voice. I actually <laughs> I shamefully admit I rather like that song. But we are playing it because it is one of the most Australian motorsport weekends of the year, Bathurst. We were talking about it earlier. It's Bathurst, Dan. Come on, say uh, it. You look, know you want every to. Every year, every year, someone reminds me that I once said Bathurst because everyone here <laughs> says it wrong. <laughs> It's ba- obviously it's Bathurst. It's I know. Bathurst. Yeah. I've been educated now. All right, you're doing well. But you're so weird because you say new. Do you say Newcastle or Newcastle? Depends on what state you're from and what school you went to. All right. What about Castlemaine? Nah, it's Castlemaine. I, I, well, I, well, say, Ca- any... I say Castlemaine myself. Yeah. So you say Castlemaine, mm. but you'll say Bathurst. Well, I'm sorry. There's just no consistency here at all. Shall we have well, a dance? You don't. Yeah. Well, you no. Do, you don't. You don't. Um, you know, at the end of a hard day, lie in a nice bath and get yourself clean. Do no, you? you don't. You have a bath. Yes. So I see where you're coming from. Or just a nice light it's shower. It's funny, you know. Just a cool shower, generally. Like. <laughs> anyway, we're not going to talk about ablutions. We're talking about something completely different. You, actually, we're talking about the opposite of getting clean. Yeah. We're talking getting dusty. Because you boys have been testing one of Australia's uh, favourite classes of vehicles. We're talking, of course, one-ton utes. Mate, we invented the ute. <laughs> now, come on. <laughs> Get Mate, it right here. See, look, see, now John Farnham all makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> it's just, yeah, look. So you guys have been uh, you've been getting your, your hands, your grubby little dusty mitts on quite a few different uh, one-tonners, haven't you? We've been sampling a lot of utes. There's been a lot of action in that segment lately. And, um, you know, what what better thing to do than to go out where it's dusty and drive these things where they belong and, yeah. you know... Put totally some, agreed. Put some bales of hay in the back and go to a BNS ball. And did you actually do either of those things? No. Okay. Right. But what did you do then to test the, the use? Well, you know, we, we did all the things that they were designed to do. So what? we drove them on the highway, towing things that they're supposed to be towing, and we drove them off road, and we took them to a four wheel drive park, and drove them through rivers, and got them covered in mud and dust. And wow. Yeah. It was it was great. Sounds sounds horrible. It's very so, blokey. Did you have nice clothes on? Not afterwards. God, so dreadful. <laughs> was there any cool drinks or anything? No, but there, there were snakes and fires where oh, we this were. This is just revolting. It Why was, would anyone? It was very Aussie. Now that actually does sound really good fun. Was it a good time? Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. Right, and so yeah. what you do? You have the full. There's a lot. Look, we got a lot of choice in Australia, and we're pretty lucky at the moment that they've all kind of gone through their most recent updates or completely all new versions. Well, if there was ever a time to do a test such as this, this would be the time, Matt, because of course you've got the brand new Hiluxes just launched. You've got the new Ranger. You've got the new BT50 or the fakes of BT50. You've got a new Triton that's still relatively fresh, a new Novara that's relatively fresh, and a couple of oldies that haven't been sort of touched in a while. The D-Max, the Colorado, and of course the Amarok. But, you know, the segment has never seen so much activity. And, you know, one in ten vehicles sold in Australia is a 4x4 dual cab ute. Is it that which much? Which is amazing. Yep. We're wow. one of the world's biggest markets for this type of car. So, you know, and, and, and the interesting thing in this segment is these cars are now being used as sort of family transport. They're all five-star ANCAP. They've got all the airbags. They're luxurious. They're more refined than ever. They're more comfortable than ever. The onus is on making them as car-like as you can possibly make them while maintaining that toughness. And it's a really hard thing to do. And it's really interesting to see the strategies the car makers take to get that done. Yeah, so is it possible? Is anyone getting... Cl- now, I know you guys can't really talk about it because your respective publications haven't actually published your results yet. But can you give us any little teasers? You know, who does well and who doesn't, you know? Well, I think you were saying before, Matt, the interesting thing is the fact that... I mean, I, I, I grew up on a farm and I recall the dual cabs that we had. And to see in 10 years how far they've all come yeah. is amazing. You know, they're unrecognisably good compared to where these sorts of vehicles were 5, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and, of course, there's a couple, as always, that do it better than others, obviously. But they're all so much better than you would have expected if you were brought forward in a time machine. Mm. Okay, well, I 
haven't got a story that's about to be published, so I am allowed to talk about which ones I like and I don't. Um, now, I we talked about this last week, but I'll touch on it again. I did the launch of the new Hilux. Now, this is an all-new car. It's all new. Um, they've got a new range of engines. The car has completely been reconstructed. It's, um, it's a, a really fine bit of kit. Now, I've not had much experience in Hiluxes over the many years, but I have had a fair go in most of its competitors recently. I'd say that on-road... All of its competitors are very much the same. They feel very functional, very utilitarian, quite commercial in many ways. And I'd say that the Hilux, in my opinion, is the one that on-road goes beyond. I mean, it is it is so, so much better in terms of cabin uh, comfort, road noise, um, NVH was noise, vibration harshness levels. It's, it's extraordinary how much further ahead it is. But then also add to that, as you were saying, Mike, you know, the hardest thing to do is increase those levels of comfort on-road, but then also maintain what the Hilux is known for, and that is being tough and good off-road. Long-term, I couldn't tell you what it's going to be like, because we never can. We only ever live with a car about a week at the most, generally. But off-road, the Hilux is absolutely phenomenal, and and it, it's, it's providing some serious competition for anyone else who says that their one-ton ute will be good off-road as well. Well, compared to the old Hilux, it's a revelation yeah. um, as to whether it's better than its rivals. mm Maybe, maybe not. I don't know because they're not so sure. The but rivals have always been quite good off-road. Well, it's not even just in general. I think it's a quantum step over the previous one, but the previous one was the oldest car out there by a long way. Um, but it's going to be the top seller anyway. The Hilux is always the top seller. The Ranger has caught mm. up a huge amount now. The Ranger actually beats it some months. So does the Triton. But you'll see that this new Hilux will take all before it in the sales race because it's got the name. People know Hilux. It's like Hoover or Google or Coke. It's so synonymous in a way. Yeah, and, and, and I think a bit of advertising for all these other uh, <laughs> yeah. things that aren't cars. Yeah, good. And I, and I think as Mike alluded to before, you know, people expect more of their utes now. It, it is not just something that you drive to work as a tradie and you park in the driveway overnight and you go and get into your other car. It, it is now a vehicle that is expected to do everything it's meant to be the family transport you know the trader ute during the week the thing you take fishing and tow the boat with on the weekend it's it's one vehicle to do many 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 things so everyone's expecting an all-rounder now and and it would be okay if that if if people used it for that you know toyota and all its competitors have now given you a car that will do everything and yet I think a lot of people don't use those cars for all of their ability, which kind of renders them a little bit pointless in many ways. Is it just, you know, do people buy them for the wrong reason or, or I don't know? Well, one of the interesting things, I think, is the fact that it's a new status symbol. Yeah, you talk to a Ranger or a Hilux owner and they are as voracious about their cars Mm. and if you're a Ranger guy you hate Hiluxes and you're a Hilux guy you hate Rangers and that seems to be it's like the new Commodore V Falcon rivalry in a way Ute buyers are so intensely into their Utes um, and it's sort of a it's not it's not a vehicle for someone who just buys transport, especially at the top end. The yeah. base mind-friendly, fleet-friendly ones, sure. But the top end ones with the fancy wheels and the side steps and all the features, man, people are loyal. And uh, there's a potential for the Hilux to become not just Toyota's number one selling car. If it does that, then it will be Australia's number one selling car, yeah. effectively, which would be, that would be extraordinary. We will, of course, at Fender Bender, keep you up to date with all of the latest uh, V-Facts and car sales figures. So stick with us. We're going to have a short break. We'll be back after this. This is Joy 94.9. Now we're going to do something, we're going to talk something a little bit more refined, not quite so adventurous as One Ton Utes. It is the BMW 3 Series. I nearly said the new BMW 3 Series, which is what they would have us believe it actually isn't. It's a midlife update. It's the, th- the LCI, Dan. The LCI. Do you know what that stands for? Life Cycle Impulse. 
Isn't that awful? What yeah. does that even mean? Just Series two, mate. Fa- exactly. Yeah. Facelift. Job done. Yeah. yeah. So it's about three <laughs> years old. It is in its F30 uh, generation. And to keep up with the Joneses, they have given it a little bit of a facelift. And when I say a little bit, I mean actually tiny. You will only see any differences on the outside if you get one of the either Sportline or the Luxury line. Uh, the M Sport package is exactly the same, which is, in my opinion is good because it's looks fantastic uh and it's got a range of new engines and that is the critical thing now i drove this car on its launch earlier this week um it has got uh, a new top of the range the 340 is the six cylinder turbo which produces even more power now and is more efficient by six percent but it's at the bottom end of the range which is most fascinating because we have the return of the bmw 318i badge which hasn't been here since the e46 which was back in 2002 maybe later. So it's not been here for a long while and BMW is celebrating the re- return of the 318 because they say that that is a new level of accessibility for the 3 Series. Are we excited about this? Very. It's what? also a very new engine. Yes, tell us. Car. So three cylinders in the base model. Three cylinders? Three cylinders, guys. Three Series and three cylinders. But what you have to understand about this engine is it's a modular engine. So each engine is 500 cc's of capacity and to work your way up through the engines you simply add another... 500 cc so three cylinder 1.5 four cylinder two liter six cylinder three liter it's simple maths but um for you maybe someone (laughs) of you know limited intellect like me i was struggling for a moment i'm glad you did that bit yeah but look this this is probably the big news in what's otherwise you know a pretty small facelift really um (laughs) but look i drove them overseas i haven't driven them here yet and i was quite impressed by the refinement of of all the engines no, no matter what size um Obviously, the power and torque outputs are, are going to vary hugely across the range, but all are very polished engines. You expect a three-cylinder to be a bit sort of lumpy and a bit wobbly, and it's just not. Well, yeah. It's that, did you say it's that the engine that's in the Mini and also the two-series active touring? So yeah. they've they've got that engine out there already. I've driven it in the Mini, and it's 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 all right. I would say it's my favourite of the three-cylinders out there. It's also got a lot more character in the Mini, as, as yeah. you can probably you know understand in a mini it deserves to have a little bit of character but you need a lot more polish in a in what's meant to be a refined car like a three series but is that enough grunt 100 kilowatts that engine produces is that enough for a three series yes it's fine in a mini because minis are well mini not as mini as it used to be but they're smaller than a three series is that enough for a mid-sized luxury sedan for some people it's got the right badge it's got the right look i mean people have bought 318s for a long time or not so much the 316s but the low spec Three series have quite been popular for quite a long time because for some people, just having a three series is enough. It's a status car. The people who are actually going to want to drive the thing and drive it hard, probably not. But right. for the average poser, it's completely okay. For those people who want a little bit more uh, poke, you've got the uh, 320i, which is a two-litre four-cylinder turbo. Uh, or you can go up to the 330i, which is the same engine, but with a lot more power. So those are sporty numbers. And then if you really want to splash out, you've got the three-litre six-cylinder turbo at the top. But... That engine, the three-cylinder, coming back to you, it's 1.5 litres. It's the same engine, effectively, as the one in the back of the i8, the wonderful hybrid mm. supercar, sports car, sorry, forgive me, uh, the BMW produced for a whopping $300,000. Um, that engine, though, in the i8, produces around 170 kilowatts. So we know that that 1.4, sorry, 1.5 litre three-cylinder is capable of producing a lot more power. Would that be good? Would that, that was, that's really the holy grail, because then you'd have all the lightweight and compactness of a three-cylinder, but with 170 kilowatts in a three-series, that's got to be pretty good, isn't it? I think durability is the issue, because that engine would be so highly strung. I know, it's going to go bang anyway. Yeah, and in an i8, you're not going to be doing half a million Ks in your i8. 
But a 3 Series is, in Europe especially, it's essentially just an every man's car. It's one you'd take up the freeway every day. They rack up huge Ks. So whether... I don't... Take up the freeway every day. That's <laughs> at least once a week. So euphemistic. Um, but from a durability perspective, I don't think that would go so well. Right. But I think as this conversation probably shows, a lot of it is trying to get people's head around the idea of a three-cylinder car. Everyone thinks, oh, three cylinders, isn't that sort of something that's weird and obscure and should be an attractor? <laughs> but it's getting bums in seats. It's getting people to actually go and drive it and go, you know what, it is quite a flexible engine. It is quite drivable. And hey, maybe it does have enough power for me for what I expect of the car. So that's probably half the job that the marketing team have got ahead of them. I think BMW's addressed another really key issue with this car, which for a long time, the Mercedes C-Class has been just outselling everything at this part of the market by a mile. The C-Class is the second most popular mid-sized car of any sort behind only the Camry in Australia. And it just destroys the 3 Series and the A4 and the IS and all these rivals for sales. And and that was mainly because it was so well specced for the money. Mm. And the new 3 Series, I believe, has a lot more equipment for what you pay. Is that right? That is quite right. But only when you get up into the sort of higher end. So the 318, mm. it's still got some, some pretty good kit in it. You know, it's fairly well specced. But and that's an excellent point, Mike. So um, Mercedes is, is absolutely winning the game when it comes to mid-size luxury. Uh, BMW say that the 318 uh, will be the true advantage because it is so much more affordable. But as we know, most people who buy any uh, premium car in the mid-size segment aren't looking to spend just a little bit of cash. They're quite happy to spec them up higher, options lists, and, and spend the money. So will the 318 really attract that many people if traditionally we'd like the more expensive end of the mid-size premium segment? How much is it? 50, yeah, good question. Mid-50s? Yes. Well, that's about five grand cheaper than the base C-Class, which isn't that much. In the scheme of that Sure, more than I've got to lose. Five grand, when you're talking about a mini car like a Mitsubishi Mirage, is a lot of money. But in this part of the market, 5K isn't that much, really. Not really. No. Well, they say it's good. They're predicting about 15 to 20% will be the 318i. Well, I mean, they're going to need... This car needs to do good things to BMW because that part of the market is fascinating at the moment. It's not Mm. just the C-Class. There's a brand new A4. And when I say brand new, I mean all brand new. Yep. Audi A4 coming very soon. The Jaguar X... XE has just launched, and that's sort of targeted as the sporty option like the 3 Series. The Lexus IS has just got a brand new turbo engine to make it interesting. There's a whole bunch of things happening in this part of the market, isn't there? It's sort of one of the one of the hottest fought segments. Um, so do you think, after spending some time with it, and both of you guys have driven it, is the 3 Series good enough still to really keep up with these newer options? I would say marginally yes. Um, perhaps a little bit of what applies, we were talking about earlier, with brand loyalty. You know, I think there's a huge number of people out there who will just buy the new 3 Series because it's a 3 Series and they've always had one. And actually, I would bring myself into the argument here and say perhaps I'm even slightly guilty of that now. I've owned three different generations of 3 Series. I still have one now. And I, you know, albeit a very professional and unbiased journalist, I still have an affection for that that brand. I think it's a great car. Mm. Um, I've not driven the new A4. And I also haven't driven the XE, which I'm told is very, very good. And by a colleague of ours, uh, Fian, who said that that car is his pick. He says the XE is absolutely outstanding. What do you think? Look, if you sort of just wind back to the 3 Series for a second, I don't think it's going to change perceptions. And and I don't think it is a a huge, huge step forward. But what it has done is brought that price down to make it interesting enough that people are going to walk through the door of a BMW showroom and let the salesman do their magic. And that's what they needed to do. Because as Mike said, they were starting to fall behind the game so yeah you i think you've got an excellent excellent point is that what's the what's their strategy is just get people in they know once you've they've got them in the showroom and they're surrounded by all these wonderful things 
they can pretty much yeah, seal and a that's sale. that's exactly what this segment is. It is strategy. It is whose who's badge can you have on the back of your car down at the golf club? Well, or? why don't they just ask me then? I, I've got exactly how they do it. What you do is you offer the BMW 3... One zero, uh, I no, not even I. Let's bring back Carby. So you make, and it's twenty thousand dollars, three series with a one liter in it, uh, and it's twenty grand. Get people in the showroom, then sell them a three forty. What do you reckon? I'm sure the people who paid eighty grand for a three forty and saw their mate in a three, like a three one zero that cost twenty grand, would <laughs> be wrapped about that. I love, I? I love that you just everyone's embracing my three one zero. Mate, I've got three words for you: badge delete option. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which they do an awful lot in Europe. Yeah. I don't know why, but perhaps that's why. Maybe. You heard it here first. Uh, right, okay, moving on to something else. We'll just very quickly touch on, we're nearly out of time, guys, but I did definitely want to talk about uh, one other little uh, new arrival. Uh, you know how much we love an SUV in Australia? Well, there are now three new options from a company known as Haval. This is a Chinese brand that is entering our market. It's just launched after a very long delay. Six months they've been saying they're going to be here and they finally now launched and we've got a range of cheeky little Chinese uh, SUVs. Now, is it Haval or Havel? I like don't gravel? know. I, I suspect don't. Haval, because Havel's too close Jesus, to Hovel, which you don't all want to know. Yeah, oh, don't start. <laughs> we've, had, we've had a lot of Chinese brands try, and most of them fail to crack Australia. Either they've been too expensive or just not good enough. And it's shown that Australians generally are willing to pay a bit more for a brand they know and trust. The Chinese brands have had a really tough time. Initially, Great Wall did okay with its utes, but then they got expensive, and so now they don't sell them at all. Um, Haval is launching am- ambitiously. Its pricing is about on a par with the established brands from Japan or from uh, Korea or even from Europe. I mean, they're not a whole lot cheaper, are they? They're pretty well equipped. Yeah. There's three different sizes. They look you know, pretty good. They're certainly not third world vehicles by any stretch. The Chinese brands have come along in leaps and bounds. Yep. But whether you can get a person to pay similar money for an mm. unknown quantity such as this for what you'd pay for a Mazda CX-5, for instance, or something like that, is a tough sell. I mean, look at how much trouble people like Infinity have had trying to get people to buy their vehicles, which are, I think, absolutely fantastic, really good, genuinely should be competitors in the premium segment. But because it's a brand they don't recognise, and they, again, we bring back in the brand loyalty thing, they've winning people over conquest sales from you know, an established brand with apparently premium products is so so difficult and only you know people like um lexus who've been in the game 25 years it took them virtually all all of of toyota's money yes to do it to to get it to work so can this little chinese brand we've never heard of do it i I think you're really onto something here it's not just brand loyalty in this country it's it's brand pride and the only way you're going to drag people away from something that they're very proud of saying hey i own this i Mm. own a mazda i own a subaru i drive this i drive a toyota is is to cut the hell out of the price and if you're not prepared to do that, if you're trying to come in and compete, you know, on a, on a level playing field with something that is unknown, well, good luck. You make the first one super cheap, and then it's like Hyundai did yep. that. Remember, yeah, Hyundai used to cost nothing at all, and then as people got to know them, trust them, and had experiences with them, their friends had them, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they slowly crept up. And, and now Hyundai's are the, selling cars. Yeah, and now yeah. Hyundai's <laughs> are the same price as everything else. But they took time, they were patient, and they built the brand. And Haval is kind of it, it appears. I haven't driven it yet, but it sort of appears to be cutting corners a bit. And I don't know. I wish it well, but as we said before, there's so much out there, it's going to be extremely tough. Are you car crazy? Then join us online, like Fender Bender Joy, on Facebook or follow on Twitter. Gentlemen, that time has arrived again. It is uh, five minutes to five, which means we unfortunately have to say cheerio. Thank you so much, gentlemen, for coming in. It's been a wonderful show. Uh, uh, Will you come in again and see us again soon? Of course. 
Try and stop me. You make sure you get out and enjoy that lovely weather. I was to God, it's gorgeous out there. Uh, but stick with us because it is very, very, it gives me great pleasure and an enormous amount of excitement, not physical excitement, you know, just emotional, to say that after Fender Bender Day, we are welcoming back one of uh, Joy 94.9's favourite people, Hannah. She is back with a brand new uh, Australian music show called Cute. That is from five o'clock. Uh, so stick with us. There's plenty more coming up on your Saturday on Joy 94.9. My name is Daniel Gardner. And until a fortnight later, Please do safe driving out on those roads. You're on Joy 94.9. This has been a Fender Bender podcast for Joy 94.9, Australia's first and only gay and lesbian radio station. See joy.org.au for more details. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. 